Hey, hey, it's LTE Podcast, where I talk to writers and community leaders about what they've written and what's on their minds. I'm your host, Brendan O'Mara. Hey, hey, I'm the assistant opinion page editor for the Register Guard and the host of this humble little podcast. Today's guest is Terry McDonald, the executive director of St. Vincent de Paul. You've probably been there. We recorded this sucker several weeks ago for a piece he wrote, you guessed it, several weeks ago. So if this feels in any way dated, blame Terry. No, 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 I kid. His piece was sort of evergreen, and I had a a slew of more topical ones to talk about, so I kept this one in my back pocket until now. As I've now run out of interviews, whatever will we do in this 2020 year? Anyway, if you want to support the show, by all means, link up to it on social media and consider subscribing to the Register Guard. You can also submit your letters to the editor, rgletters at registerguard.com, where I, or me, I don't know, whatever pronoun, or Veronica will screen them, edit them, give you a shout out, and possibly get them into the newspaper. How does that sound? Sound good? All right. Here, we speak kindly and carry a big podcast. Here's my conversation with Terry McDonald. When you think of five decades with, with uh, St. Vinny's, you know, what, what comes to mind? Uh, a long period. It's, uh, it was a long time. It started in 1971. So uh, just uh, complete, the community has changed a lot. It's grown. Uh, the economy and base of the community has uh, changed very much, and the social issues associated with the community have changed a lot. In what ways ha- can you really pinpoint like some of the the great the great shifts that you've seen, uh, you know, from the early seventies right right through now? Well, uh, you can start with the digital economy, but uh, in this particular area, uh, if you were to look over this community from a few hundred feet up in nineteen seventy one. Uh, you saw about 20 to 25 wigwam burners. They were burning off the sawdust that came out of the, pl- the mills. Uh, it was a robust economy, uh, lots of blue-collar jobs. You could go from high school to a union job and spend 25 years there and retire on full benefits. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it was a very, very different economy, a booming economy that was based upon forest products. Uh, that is not the world that we live in today. Uh, first of all, a wigwam burner, uh, which is a big piece of metal that you throw wood in and burn stuff up, would not be allowed because of airshed quality issues. Uh, but the second part is, is that kind of blue-collar job just is gone. And yeah. So we're into a very different type of economy. And your piece, which um, you know deals with the the winter winter bringing worry for for the unhoused and. What was the the genesis of of this piece that that they you know lit the fire under you to to want to submit this and, and write on this topic? Well, St. Vincent Paul does a lot of homeless services, and so we have the Lindholm Center on 99 that uh, does uh, singles access, showers, laundry, and so forth for homeless individuals. Uh, the First Place Family Center over by South Eugene High School uh, does the same type of service for homeless families. We have the SSVF program, Homeless Veterans uh, Rehousing Program, uh, Vet Lift, uh, another veterans program, a lift program for dual diagnosed individuals that are homeless in the community. So we have a lot of uh, lot of moving parts around homelessness. 
And the alarm that was struck by uh, the article a couple of weeks ago was is that it wasn't winter yet. And all of our systems were fully operational and were fully housed and fully at capacity. And that's too early. It's not, it's not supposed to work that way. That means we have a much larger problem than I'm used to. And the capacity to expand those services just isn't there. Mm. How, how discouraging is that? You know, for you as a leader in this community to see that the problem or or this issue has just only escalated as time's gone on. Well, it's morphed, uh, and you know, one of the things that I think I pointed out in the story is is that eighty percent of the new people that we're seeing right now are from within a ten mile radius of this place. So we're not importing homeless people from all over the country. Uh, what we have is a change in the economic base. So with very low vacancy rates, with much faster escalating rents, uh, and, uh, and with that an increased population, uh, people that are on the edge or vulnerable to being unhoused uh, are becoming unhoused. And uh, especially uh, older women over the age of 50 uh, is a very vulnerable population. It's about a third of the population we see now is in that group. Uh, so it's a changing dynamic associated with the growth and the prosperity of the community, which is great, uh, but there's no run-up in services. Yeah, it, it it seems like it would be you know discouraging, but to to see that 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 it persists in the way way that it does, especially when you're you're, you're talking you know women in their fifties, some it just or older or older. It's it just it's it's just deeply you know dispiriting and, and sad to know that that's you know part of the world we're living in in this area. Well, uh, as with all of these things, there's good news and bad news. I'm, you know, this area has had a boom-bust economy for as long as I can remember, uh, and that goes back to the 1950s. Uh, so, you know, it's nice to have the economic underpinnings of the community growing. Uh, it's great to see the minimum wage going up. It's great to see the health benefits for a lot of the uh, people that are working improving. Uh, so, you know, all of those things are really good things. And it's nice to see that the prosperity for the commercial areas of the community are also doing pretty well uh, in, in, in support of all the rest of that. Unfortunately, there's always a trade-off. And the trade-off is, of course, for people that are vulnerable. Mm. And uh, one thing that really struck me about your piece as well was that there was um, there's a sense of urgency and even a, a sense of dire consequences that that ends the ends the piece. A lot of a lot of times these things want to end on on a on a beat that's a bit more you know up yeah, upbeat or optimistic. And I I like that this there is a, an urgency and an almost like a, there's like hey you know what you people. I, gotta gotta wake up a little bit here because this is going to be painful for a lot of people you know you write that time is short before the true winter arrives and i'm very worried so that's i think that that speaks to you know your you know your care and your your worry is you know winter is only it hasn't even ramped up yet and it's uh we're in for a long haul well, if you think about it, uh, and I think this was actually put in the paper the other day, uh, a story about uh, the county and city plans to uh, end homelessness, the TAC report, uh, that they're talking about developing a 75-bed uh, wet or low-barrier shelter. Uh, well, right now, we have that low-barrier shelter, but there are 200 people in it, and there's 50 people on the waiting list. We're not attacking the problem very successfully and very wisely at this point. Mm. Uh, And 
you know, what happened last year was is that during that very cold part of December and January, uh, we were scrambling to house an extra 100 to 150 people uh, at, uh, at a time when it was just really hard to put that kind of resources into play. Uh, so, you know, going, always fighting from behind is not a wise way of doing business. It's wise to go out and get ahead of the problem, recognize that it's there, and then act on it before you have to do something emergency. It's like the hospital. If you're admitted as a patient and you go through a normal process and you get yourself healed up with whatever illness you have, is a much better way of doing it than going to the emergency room when you're in dire condition. Mm. And where would you say um, you, you, your optimism lies, if, if you have any going, going forward? Oh, I have a lot of optimism. Uh, you can't be in this business and not be a, a perennial uh, optimist. Right. Uh, you have to believe that you're making a difference and the community is. And I spent a lot of time uh, dealing with other places around the United States and around the world. Uh, it's part of what I do for my business. Uh, and what I see is that this community in many ways is far ahead of other communities on the West Coast especially. So if you go to the San Francisco's or the Portland's or the Seattle's or the Los Angeles's of the, of the coast, uh, their solutions are not as robust as the solutions that we're doing here, and that the reaction time to solving and getting ahead of problems is faster here. And it's a very caring community. I mean, we are still a relatively small community. It's just not a large place. It's not like a Los Angeles or a Portland. And so the opportunity for people to get their heads around the issue are much much more possible here than in other urban areas. Yeah, and it and it, it appears that there's a bit of a you know, things are reaching kind of a crescendo in the in the community too. There's a, a sort of a tolerance and a patience and a compassion fatigue as that we're that we've had in the paper. And um, I think uh, where would you, you know, what, what would you like to see you know city leaders and uh, to um, to maybe expedite things, you know, people are people are hurting, and as you said, this community is uh, it, it cares. So I think it, you know, maybe there's a, you know, what can people what can people do? What would you like to see done so things are are moving in a positive direction? Well, the faith communities are doing a pretty good job. I mean, they're the ones that are behind most of the Egan Warming Centers. Uh, they're the ones that help with the youth programs. Uh, the 15th Night Movement involves a lot of those faith communities. I mean, I think that the faith communities across the board uh, go overboard to try and help, and that includes the uh, uh, the uh, uh, overnight uh, programs we've had through the uh, Annex that uh, does the um, church camping program for homeless families, uh, the interfaith program. Uh, so, I mean, I think the faith communities are pretty well enlisted. I think that the business community would like to figure out solutions associated with dysfunctional behavior from some, and I say some, of the homeless populations. Right. The public sector needs to step up. Mm -hmm. uh, this is a community problem, and it's not created by the private sector. Well, it is sort of, but I mean, it's not a problem just for the private sector or for the not-for-profit sector. It's really a community problem that involves all three legs of the stool. And I would appreciate the fact that they're trying to put long-term plans in place. And I appreciate the fact that when there's an emergency, just like a couple of weeks ago, the county and the city step forward and try and put together services for homeless individuals. But it would be nice for them to, to sit back with us and work in partnership, all of these partners together, on actionable items that we can do this winter. And I would prefer to not start these discussions until November. Right. Right. Well, well, Terry, thank you so much for, for jumping on the podcast here. And thanks for writing this great guest view. I think it, it should be the some tinder to really light 
um, you know, light the spark underneath, uh, you know, people and uh, really awaken people to, um, you know, what's going on this um and what's going on in the community and certainly this winter. So thanks for, you know, uh, writing this piece and, uh, and certainly for jumping on the podcast. It's certainly my pleasure. And thanks for having a few moments for us.